The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're going to be bringing you an uh, uplifting show, um, which will be a great relief from all of the bombardment that you're having probably today, just like every typical day, uh, from television and radio and newspapers and the Internet and so on, um, of bad news. You wake up in the morning, or at least I do, I put on, turn on the uh, Internet, look at the Google page, and it's just one bad news story after the other. Bad news bears. So today we have some good news bears, uh, some stories of self-sacrifice. Um, I'm calling them frontline angels. These are people who have volunteered to be on the front lines of um, the services of Magen David Adom in Israel and who have um, had some incredible experiences um, and it is a, it's not only uplifting, but it's also something that will hopefully inspire you to perhaps uh, volunteer for some organization of your choosing. Um, perhaps Magen David Adom, um, perhaps some other charity, perhaps um, thinking of, it will in any case change the way that you think. It's not that it's so easy to get into the mindset of thinking, especially these days, that everybody is out for themselves, everybody is cynical. I mean, it is unfortunately true that a lot of people have been getting more cynical and more out for themselves because of all the struggles that they're having in the world today. Um, so it's really important to remember that there are people who are sacrificing their own time, their own safety, their own plans for their life, at least putting them on hold temporarily while they do things to help others. Um, my guests are Rebecca Siegel, Ariella Applebaum. Those are the frontline angels. And another frontline angel <laughs> welcoming back to the show is Eric Levis. He is the communications director for American Friends of Magin David Dome, And he works closely with these American overseas volunteers once they return to America. And he helps them to continue to have opportunities here um, through such things as uh, the Heartbeat Next Gen community, and he'll tell you all about that. But, um, but Eric has also recently just been in Israel himself um, for um, a trip uh, as the communications director to try to bring some of the stories back to Israel. So welcome, Eric, <laughs> uh, Rebecca, and Ariella. Eric, why don't you start us off to give a little introduction to this program that Rebecca and Ariella have um, participated in. 
Sure. Um, thank you very, very much, first of all, for having us on the show, Dr. Carroll. It's always a, a pleasure to be on your, um, on your show and on your couch. Um, the MDA, which means Magendavita Dome, Overseas Volunteer Program, is a program that's been happening and been going on for a number of years, uh, 20, almost 25 years at this point. And what it does is quite simple. It, uh, it brings young people between the ages of 18 to 30 from all over the world. Um, the vast majority come from the U.S., all over, the, all over America. Um, and they are asked to come to Israel, and they volunteer. These young people volunteer with Magen Davida Dome, which is Israel's national emergency response ambulance service and humanitarian organization and its uh, national blood bank. So it's kind of like, I think before we get too far into what the volunteers do and, and why they come up, why they show up in the first place um, in a country like Israel, I think we have to understand what Megan Davida Dome is. So sure. you have to imagine it as kind of like um, one national 911 uh, Red Cross and uh, humanitarian organization all kind of uh, rolled into one. It's a pretty incredible organization when you think about the um, the breadth and, and the, the the different kinds of, of people it touches throughout the country. It's an it's an apolitical humanitarian organization that is interested only in saving lives. So if I'm uh, 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 an Israeli Jew, an Israeli Christian, an Israeli Muslim, anywhere in the country, and I have an emergency, anything from a broken bone to, let's say, my wife is in labor to perhaps I'm suddenly the victim of a terrorist attack, I dial 101, which is the equivalent to 911 in, in Israel. And there is only one national organization, one emergency response organization that will show up, and that is Magen Davida Dome. So it has an incredible responsibility to respond to every kind of emergency all over the country, and it also exports its knowledge uh, to the rest of the world. So when you see events such as um, the earthquake that happened in Haiti in 2010, the terrible, terrible earthquake, uh, they relied on Magen Davida Dome to provide some expertise and what little manpower MDA can provide. Of course, Israel is a small country, but it has a lot of experience in mass casualty events and uh, emergency preparedness, emergency response, and unfortunately to terrorism as well. As we know, Israel is in a, is in a situation of dealing with terrorism almost day to day. So other countries are also the beneficiary of, uh, of MDA's knowledge and MDA's work. So that's the basics of, of Magen Davida Dome. It's uh, one, of, uh, one of the great organizations in Israel. It's among the top uh, national organizations. And incredibly, it doesn't receive any funding from the Israeli government. So it really relies on American donors um, and donors around the world. But certainly the support of, of U.S. Uh, friends and supporters is, is very much appreciated. Uh, so that's the basics of Magen Davida Dome and what it does and how important it is in Israel. After the Israeli Defense Forces, there's probably no other more important organization for that country uh, than MDA. So to bring it back to now to what the, the volunteers do, this is uh, an incredible, again, organization that has a lot to teach and could certainly use a lot of help. Uh, it has a workforce of about 15,000 EMTs and paramedics 
and more than 13,000 of those EMTs and paramedics are volunteers. So it relies heavily on volunteers, and that's where folks like Ariella and, uh, and Rebecca come in. They are what we call overseas volunteers, where people can sign up for either a six-week program or a longer uh, session as well, an advanced course, where they become essentially uh, MDA EMTs or, or paramedics, um, not to the degree that they'll go to the front lines of, say, a crisis like what we saw this past, uh, this past summer in Israel, but they will ride along in ambulances, learn the basics of emergency response and emergency medicine, and ride along in ambulances and treat patients. And it's an incredible way to really understand the ins and outs of a country. Uh, we get a lot of young people who visit Israel on different programs, and they're certainly worthwhile and, and, and fascinating to, in their own respects. But understanding Israel from the inside out, like Ariella and like Rebecca have done, and we'll hear from them because their stories and their experiences were unlike anything that most people will ever get to, to do. And it's available to anyone. And it's one of the great programs that I certainly have come across, and I encourage everyone to learn more about it. And this is a great platform for, for people to learn about emergency medicine and learn about themselves, too. Okay, that's a great introduction. So why don't we, let's start with Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. Um, now, Rebecca is 21. She's originally from Bethesda, Maryland. She, you are a senior at Northwestern in Chicago. And uh, what, I, what I found interesting in your bio is that you're a major in musical theater and pre-med. And um, yes. you were, from what I'm reading between the lines, you were originally planning on going into musical theater, and then your, um, your experience in Israel changed all that and set you on the course to go pre-med. And to treat patients. And so I, was al- I, so I was always studying uh, science and musical theater, but the leap from studying science in the abstract to wanting to actually treat patients um, is something that happened for me during my first summer with my Gendazida Dome. Okay, well, tell us about how you heard of this volunteer program and what made you decide to do it and what did you have to give up to, to do it? Um, so, initially, I had the wonderful opportunity to go to Israel with my school when I was in 12th grade. Um, and we got to do a wonderful program in Israel where it was uh, through Alexander Mutz High School in Hodashalon, and we had the opportunity toward the country, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and the one thing that they kept harping on for us was, you know, your Israel experience. What is your Israel experience? And while it was an incredible experience, I felt like I was traveling this great country with, with the objective of, of gaining something, which I think is important. But after I came back, I knew that next time I went to Israel, I didn't want it to be about me and my experience, and I wanted an opportunity to, you know, live in Israel and get on the bus every day and go to work um, and not be a tourist. Uh, uh-huh. So I literally, I, I knew I wanted to do something uh, medical and, and volunteer work. Um, I had never heard of this program. I Googled medical volunteer work in Israel. <laughs> Huh. Uh, and I found this program, and it felt like a godsend. Huh. Uh-huh. And, um, and I, had he- I had heard of uh, Magandavida Dome because, you know, we, 
you know, I've been in my synagogue and my school, you know, you raise money for ambulances and you sort of see my Gendavida Dome as these, these larger than life people. Um, so when I discovered that there was an opportunity to, to work with them and from, and to learn from them and to serve from them, it was like a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went, and I'm I'm so glad I did. And so when it was an so, honor. So when was that that you went? Um. So the first summer I went was the summer before last. Um. I went up there in June and did the basic first responders course uh, with Kava Landau, who now does a lot of PR for Mata too. Um. And I uh, served in Tel Aviv for the rest of the summer. Um, and right after my first day on the ambulance, I knew I wanted to come back the following summer to do the advanced course. Uh-huh. Um, which I did this past summer, uh, also in June, and then was back in my same station in Tel Aviv. Well, we we need to take a break now, but we will continue with that. Of course, we'll uh, want to know about what, what some of the things were that you experienced when you were there. And then, of course, we'll also hear from Ariella. And um, we're talking today about, um, well, <laughs> frontline angels of uh, Magen Davida Dome in Israel, stories of self-sacrifice, and we're just beginning to hear the stories. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Hearing about tales from the um, tales from the back of the ambulance, <laughs> tales from the front lines, with volunteers for Magenda Vida Dome. Um, my guests are Rebecca Siegel and Ariella Applebaum. Those are the two people who will be telling you their stories of what it was like to volunteer um, in Israel to serve um, in the ambulances and, and help people from 
from um, people who, you know, have minor accidents to people who were involved in terrorist attacks, especially during this past summer. Also, Eric Levis, he's the communications director for American Friends of Magenda Vida Dome. So we were talking with you, Rebecca. You were talking about how um, you came back this past summer to do the 88-hour advanced course. And that allowed you to work in areas that were more at risk, especially during during this past summer when it was when Operation Protective Edge was happening. So tell us about some of the things that you saw there. That I saw in this past summer. Yes, I mean um, that you were involved so, in. What what kinds of experiences did you have? Yeah. So uh, one thing that I uh, experienced a lot in all of these. Um, with all the air siren days, um, was we have a lot of calls for panic attacks. Um, you, sometimes it would just be a panic attack as a result of the siren raid. Sometimes it would be accompanied by a physical injury of someone who uh, freaked out a little bit and got injured on the way to the shelter. Um, and sort of navigating how to deal with those, both as a medic and an American, because the, the inclination when you meet someone in that state is to say, you know, it will all be all right, right? But that's not something you, you say in Mata because you don't you never make a promise that you can't keep. And, hmm. you know, how do you have the audacity to say uh, it will all be all right to a woman whose uh, son is at uh, war? Um, so what I sort of started to learn instead is, that, you know, if someone tells you you're scared, you don't say, don't be scared. You know, it, the answer is, I know, me too. You know, you bring them a glass of water, you hold their hand, you look at pictures of their grandchildren, you know, that the sort of MO doesn't become don't be afraid, it becomes, you know, you're not alone. I'm mm. right next to you. And that's what you were taught in the program? Uh, that, we actually didn't uh, really uh, go over that in the course, so that was something uh, that I, I sort of, uh, learned on the job, and I had the opportunity to work with great paramedics and drivers that that were great models of that um, for me. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes. So what were some other experiences? Um, you know, I had in, uh, especially because I was in Tel Aviv, um, I, didn't, I didn't get a call from someone that was uh, directly injured um, by by the rocket. Um, what I did experience several times um, is being during a call uh, when the siren goes off, um, and the protocol then is to to uh, put on the the flak jacket and the helmet, make sure the patient's wearing the flak jacket and the helmet, um, and evacuate the ambulance since it's full of oxygen and gasoline so that if shrapnel goes at the ambulance, but it's probably not a great place to be. Huh. Um, and I, and I, I had a couple experiences like that. Um, and I think the tendency at the beginning to sort of, um, you know, be stoic and, and pretend that, that it doesn't, Saves you at all? That that's sort of what I started with because I assumed that that what you would want as a patient whose ambulance is being evacuated is is um, you know a medic who who acts like they're not afraid at all. And I I found that uh, that what's more effective and what tends to, to comfort people more um, 
it's to its knowledge, but it's, it's sort of scary and, you know, and be scared with them while also assuring them that, uh, you know, in as direct a way as possible, you know, here's what's happening, here's what we're going to do, these are the three measures we're going to take, you know, sort of being as clear as we can about um, what our plan of action is in those sorts of circumstances. Huh. So, so you would be in the ambulance, say, driving someone, um, well, I mean, you wouldn't be driving, but you know what I mean. The ambulance yeah. would be going, <laughs> heading towards the hospital, and, um, or an emergency room set up kind of situation, and, and then the sirens would come and, and you would have to get the patient out of the ambulance, and all of you would have to get out of the ambulance, put on helmets, put on black jackets, you said, and then what, yep. sort of go into try to find, um, I don't know, a tree or a, some something that seems somewhat of a shelter? Yeah, you know, if there's, if there's a building nearby, then obviously we try to get in that building, but uh, all the times it actually happened to me, there wasn't a building nearby, um, so... So if there's no kind of shelter, you know, you have your, your black jacket and your helmet, and you do, you put a black jacket on the patient, but also you, you know, you do your best to, to cover the patient however you can, you know, with yourself, um, because, you know, the patient is the person who's in critical condition in the case, and you uh, lay down on the ground and hope for the best. Well... <laughs> Wow, that that sounds like front lines to me. Um. <laughs> Dr. Carroll, I, I, I might want to add that uh, overseas volunteers, you know, in a situation like it's it's a it's an unusual situation. What we saw during Operation Protective Edge. <laughs> you, this I past know, you summer. don't want you don't want people to not volunteer. I guess. No, 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 no. Well, th- th- that's, th- well, there's th- you know, there is there is an important <laughs> distinction that has to be made here, and, and sure. that's that as, as as incredible as these volunteers are and as selfless as as both Ariella and Rebecca and their colleagues have been and and will be mm-hmm. for all future volunteer uh, situations um, MDA doesn't place people in harm's way if they're not equipped and don't have the the experience to handle a situation so no one none of our MDA overseas volunteers are actually sent let's say to the front lines near Gaza to to assist even though MDA is there evacuating IDF soldiers and even transporting uh, Palestinian civilians who weren't able to get medical care in Gaza and their only options were hospitals in Israel, MDA would help uh, facilitate those transfers. Um, But at the end of the day, um, you know, volunteers like like Rebecca and like Ariella don't quite have the experience, even though they did go through the advanced course, they're they're not placed in that level of of uh, of harm or potential harm. Now, I think if I'm not mistaken, Rebecca served in uh, well, went to occasional calls down to southern cities like Ashkelon, where there was uh, a slightly higher risk than, say, the northern part of Israel or the middle of the country. Um, but in general, really, that's not something that 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 MDA does. So I don't want people, I don't want <laughs> listeners, to think that MDA just willy nilly sends uh, volunteers <laughs> off to uh, to the front line. That's no, not exactly how it um, happened. Yeah. And also, I want to add that with those sorts of dangerous and um, sorts of calls, especially down south, you know, I, I was always able to refuse. If I didn't feel safe or comfortable, they were always very adamant that any volunteer can say, you know what, I like, this isn't for me. 
um, to a certain call or shift. Uh-huh. Well, and also, you know, it isn't every day, thank goodness, that um, um, there is um, uh, violence going on like Operation Protective Edge. I mean, most of the time, when, at least, uh, well, most of the time these days, or I shouldn't say these days, I mean, I guess up to now, um, uh, there isn't there isn't the extent of violence or the extent of danger that there has been at times like the summer Operation Protective Edge. But that was, in any case, Rebecca, that was incredibly brave of you. And um, <laughs> what were your parents thinking back in the States? Um, you know, I, uh, I, I think my parents were pretty worried. Um, I, you know, I wanted to be able to do whatever I could to, um, to help the state of Israel. So sometimes, um, you know, I, I kept in regular touch with my parents, but sometimes I wasn't um, as generous with the details. Yes. Been. <laughs> um, like, yeah, about the beach. That wasn't a rocket. You know, sort of. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, you sort of do your best. Your parents protect you when you're little, and then you right. have an adult to protect your parents a little bit. Um, right, <laughs> right. Well, Ariella, let's um, let's start start to hear your stories. Ariella Applebaum is 19 years old. She's originally from Teaneck, New Jersey. She's currently a junior at Stern College in New York, and she is also pre-med, and particularly for pediatric surgery. And you have a particularly personal reason for why you were inspired to join MDA volunteers. Tell us about it. Um, hi. So, hi. <laughs> um. I originally started my game to Vita Dome in February with the basic course because one weekend I was at my cousin's house and I recently left seminary and I was wondering what to do with the rest of my year in Israel because I felt like I wanted to do something more there. And I was talking to my cousin, Shira Applebaum, who used to be a paramedic at my game to Vita Dome and recently has not been because she's was giving birth, so, um, and she told me about this program and told me to look into it, and I kind of felt connected to it in a way, one, because she used to work there, and two, because her father, who about ten, nine years ago, um, and her sister were killed in a terrorist attack in Cafe Hillel in Jerusalem, and he used to be a doctor at Sherry Tzedek in Tehran, and he volunteered at Magin David Adol. Mm. And um, so I just felt like maybe this, by doing this and going there, like, I guess I would feel in a way connected to him and to the things she does, also Shira, and I just fell in love with it when I started. Yes, yeah, so you were already in Israel when you, when you joined. Yes, and and I was reading in your bio that um, your Shira's co- your cousin Shira's father and sister were killed by a suicide bomber. This was in two thousand and three, and it was the day before that sister's wedding. Was, was the day before the sister who was the wedding of the sister who was killed, or the day before Shira's wedding? The day before the sister that was killed's wedding. Oh dear! <laughs> I mean, not that yeah. it's. Not that it's not a tragedy when anyone is killed in a suicide bombing, but wow, how how sad. Yeah, it was, um, it was uh, tough. 
So, okay, tell us about your experiences then when you joined. So when I joined in February, um, initially it was hard because I wasn't exactly the most fluent in Hebrew, and I had just been in an American program for most of the year. So I didn't really, wasn't so familiar with the language. Let's, and, and let's hold that thought right there. We'll leave everyone on a cliffhanger because we need to take another break. But we will return with Ariella's story and uh, more from Rebecca and Eric as well. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. So stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're talking about stories of self-sacrifice. Two young women who joined the volunteers um, for Magenda Vida Dome in Israel and were there for part of the time, at least during Operation Protective Edge, both of them, um, and had some amazing experiences and risked their lives, even though, yes, as Eric Loves pointed out, that's not, um, there is a choice, and, on the, and, and MDA does try to keep everybody safe, and, and it isn't always times like uh, Operation Protective Edge. So, Ariella, why don't you continue? You were saying that when you started, it was a little difficult because, the program you had been in in Israel um, didn't require you to be fluent in Hebrew, but then you found that you had to be more fluent when you were riding in the back of ambulances. Right. So go yeah. ahead. Um, well, when I started, I initially, because I didn't know the Hebrew, it was very hard to talk to the patients to make them feel reassured because I was an American. I was 19 years old. I started off 18, and I was treating these patients that were scared because they were either injured or they were with their family member who was scared, and I, I didn't know exactly how to interact with them because most people didn't speak English. Mm-hmm. So I took it upon myself to really immerse myself in the culture and learn the language and get acquainted with it so that I could be more of an asset and mm-hmm. I, people wouldn't just keep looking at me and calling me the American, even though 
I still talked with that accent, of course. But uh-huh. um, it just it helped me a lot because in the ambulance, it's it's very important to make sure the patient feels comfortable because if not, it just worsens the situation. Mm-hmm. And especially a lot of the times, it's children that you're dealing with. And to work with a child and not be able to talk to them, not be able to calm them down, it, it makes them feel scared. And I guess once I started to learn the language and know more about how to talk to the patients, then that's what really inspired me to pursue a career in pediatric surgery mm-hmm. because I knew, like, kids, like, that's who I wanted to be with. That's, I felt like I was doing something when I was in the ambulance. I felt like I was making a difference in someone's lives and contributing in a way that uh, otherwise, like, I, I don't know, like, I, yeah, I guess just contributing. Mm-hmm. But, so you had you took the six week course and then you decided to stay on and you were there um, from February until when? So actually, I only left Israel about a week before I started college again in the end of August. Huh. So I I stayed. I was going to go home for the summer to see my friends, my family, who I hadn't seen in a very long time, and I decided like this was my year in Israel. This is something I loved and I felt like I was while a lot of people in the program were leaving like I'm talking about in my game to be at home where some people went home because their families were scared their parents didn't want them mm. with the sirens with the, what they were seeing on television and I thought if I didn't feel like I was in danger there I felt like this was where I was supposed to be this was where I can make a difference and help people that were scared and heard the siren and they thought even the sirens of the ambulances were the bomb sirens. Mm, so they made mm-hmm. a switch to that, like, ice cream siren. Huh. Wow. But, yeah. So I just... They made a switch to one of those old school, like, European... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, sirens for <laughs> yeah. the summer, so that people wouldn't freak out. <laughs> yeah, because I was thinking, if it was an ice cream siren, wouldn't that make people come out of the shelter and <laughs> <laughs> ice cream? <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so go ahead. Um, so, so you stayed yeah. there. The, so you stayed there, and did you have some experiences like what Rebecca was talking about, such as what in particular? Like, you know, like when um, when you'd be riding in the ambulance, driving a patient to the hospital, and and the sirens would go off, and you would have to leave the ambulance. Yeah, but that happened to me a few times. Uh, it didn't actually happen that much while I was in the ambulance, although I did work, like, most of the day from 6 in the morning till 11, 11.30 at night. Wow. So, yeah, people would always make jokes like, Ariella, do you have a house? Do you live in the station? <laughs> because I just, I couldn't stop. Like, I always wanted to be there, even though, huh. yeah, I just, I couldn't leave. <laughs> So what was, and I'm going to ask, well, I'll ask Rebecca this and then I'll go back to you, Ariella. Rebecca, what was your most memorable patient? My most memorable patient? This is a hard question. I've had, I've gotten to have some spectacular people on my ambulance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the patient that was um, my sort of, 
uh, definitive patient in terms of uh, making me want to uh, practice medicine and continue to do this mm-hmm. um, was actually a little boy who was having an asthma attack. Um, I was on the I was on a mobile intensive care unit ambulance, and so there was there was a paramedic, and the paramedic was giving. Um, you know, I I uh, started IV, and then the paramedic was giving the boy, you know, epinephrine and things to inhale to help him breathe. Um, and he was he he was so scared he couldn't really breathe, but he was um, like crying uh, as as well as one can cry without being able to breathe. And I and I had sort of done you know I, after giving him the IV, I, I sort of medically couldn't do anything else for him, um, so I uh, pretended to be a monkey. Um, and and he started to laugh and and you know right laughter is an involuntary expansion of the lungs um, and he you know his O2 sats went up uh, and it was just so uh, the experience of like being able to be this little boy's monkey and uh-huh. in that moment that being the most hopeful thing I can do yes um, and that sense of being able to to feel empathy, but then translate that empathy into something that is uh, useful. Um, this is a really transformative experience for me. Yes, because it isn't something that you really get taught. It was something that you came up with at the spur of the moment as as um, just sort of instinctively, intuitively, um, as a way to, to help him psychologically and um, to help him breathe. Uh, yeah, and I and that's what I love about emergency medicine is I've discovered, uh, especially on not an ambulance, that it's equal parts uh, treating medically and you know uh, making the joke, uh, you know, uh, and treating sort of the patient emotionally, and that's what I love. Yes, yes, huh? Okay, Ariella, what was your most memorable patient? So, as Beck said, there was a lot of different experience, different um, moments on the ambulance. But I guess, although I had, like, different cases such as births, CPRs, all different kinds of action-packed cases, that's what you think of when you're in an ambulance, like the blood, the gore, all of this Mm -hmm. stuff that you always think it's always so, like, such a panic that you have to do all of these different things. But mm-hmm. actually, my most memorable was more of, it wasn't even like I had to do anything. It was that we, there's sometimes these patients that you pick up called transfer patients, which just means you're taking them from either the hospital to their house or to another hospital because they can't go on by themselves. It's kind of like a taxi well, with an ambulance. Mm-hmm. And there was this one patient, it was, I was working a night shift with this driver and we had no calls the whole night until, like, right before the shift was over. And we got a transfer patient from the hospital to this girl's house in Ayalon, which is about an hour drive in the ambulance, 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And this girl, we get there, and she was 14 years old. And she was in a diaper. She was on a breathing, respiration, like, mental disorders because... She had been in a ter- in a bombing a few years ago in Binyane Oma, and she she was a normal girl. She was a fully functional, regular fourteen 
12 year old I think at the time and now you saw the state she was in and uh. the, what really affected me was we took this, this girl and we brought her to her house and I was sitting in the ambulance in the back with her dad and her mom and the way that the family like was so strong and supportive of their daughter and they just you could see the, how hard it was the situation but that they were hold. They had so much strength in them, and I fully realized this when we got to the house. And yes, I was tired. It was a night shift. It was six thirty in the morning, and I had not slept the whole night. And we get to the house, and I see all over the house are these pictures of her before the the bombing, mm. her, with her little siblings, everything. And when we get to the house, all her family comes out, comes and helps take her into the house on um, the bed because we had to transfer with it. And you just you saw how, this, like, life can change in, like, a matter of a second. And uh-huh. then no matter what, like, you still, her family still was there for her. Still, they had so much strength. And you could see what, like, really you should value in life. You should, you should not just complain about these little small things, but because people in Israel, people all over the world, they have it when their life is constantly in danger, but they're staying in a country for, to support their nation, to support like just everyone being there that like maybe don't take such things for granted and that to recognize like the value of things I guess uh huh uh huh absolutely and I guess seeing her before the bombing and she was this vibrant like it looked like she had her whole life ahead of her and she was going to be this beautiful successful right yeah and then and then in a minute as you said it was all changed Oh, it's really sad, and people need to remember these kinds of things before they, uh, well. <laughs> but I think, Dr. Carroll, I think what you, you know, in, in listening to the stories that we're hearing from Ariella and from Rebecca, I think you start to notice also a trend that, that is true among all the volunteers, at least the ones that I deal with on an almost daily basis who are coming back from their time in Israel and, and wanting to either pursue medicine here in the States or continue with, uh, you know, vol- volunteering on, you know, in their, in their local communities on, on EM, uh, EMT runs and ambulance runs. Um, you start to notice how, um, how, these, how these young people change in a way, um, in, in they're, they're enlightened in a way that, you know, we, we just don't see all that much um, here in, in the States, at least not in a, any kind of formal way. I mean, this is really an eye-opening experience. This MDA Overseas Volunteer Program really changes people in terms of their outlook and, and how they view their fellow man and, and woman. And I think what we're hearing from Ariella and from Rebecca is a new perspective um, on how people should uh, treat each other, what it takes to um, to, to help uh, you know a, a, another human being. We're seeing and they're seeing people at their most vulnerable, and um, it's 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 really a fascinating exercise in seeing how people can change. Yes, and and when we come back, I would like to ask Rebecca and Ariella. Um, how just just about that how now that you're back in america you know how you've noticed what you've noticed about yourself how you've changed um we do need to take another break you're listening to dr carol's couch and i'm your psychiatrist host dr carol lieberman
Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, um, here with um, guests that I hope are... (laughs) Are inspiring you, um, perhaps even to think about joining MDA. We'll give you uh, we'll give you information about that before the end of this show. But it, at the very least, uh, inspire you to be self-sacrificing. Whether it's joining a charity, some other charity of you know a favorite charity of your own, if, if it isn't MDA, or donating to a charity, or just in some way um, being self-sacrificing. Now, Eric. During the break, you were saying um, you, you started to talk about something uh, how, how when you interact uh, with these volunteers in Israel. So go ahead. Well, uh, I was mentioning that uh, that it, it's almost to a person. These volunteers come back, and you ask them, "Did you did you feel like a hero when you were there?" Did you feel like you did something almost supernatural? Because at the end of the day, when you look at it, at what's actually being accomplished, if you take a kind of a holistic approach and a holistic view, they're saving a life. And it's not just that individual's It's the life of that family, too. You know, it, when, when someone is injured or, God forbid, is killed, um, that family is destroyed. Yes. Yeah. And so what, what these volunteers do and what these medics do, what these emergency responders do, and certainly anyone who practices medicine, but, but again, these emergency responders are the first people that interact with the victims. What they do is really save not just that, that victim, that individual, but they really save the, the totality of that world. And that includes the family, that includes the kids, that includes the wives, the husbands, the friends. It really extends out. So when you ask them, you know, and I was in Israel about a, uh, two or three weeks ago, as you mentioned at the top of the show, and I would ask the volunteers, did you feel like a hero? And they would say, no, no, I don't feel like a hero. I'm just out there doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I think, you know, you can certainly ask Rebecca and Arielle yeah. that. And I really don't think that they think of themselves like that in the same way that we here in the States wonder after, for example, 9-11, 
when, you know, and, and I was here in New York at that time, and, and people were referring to FDNY and NYPD who were rushing towards danger, rushing towards the scene of horrific incidents, just like MDA does. You know, were you considering yourselves as heroes? Did you see yourselves as heroes? And they said, no, we're just there to okay. do what we do. Okay, well, Rebecca and Ariella, we only have a short time left, but just in a couple of minutes, could you each um, answer that? Do you think of yourself as a hero? And in any case, how has this changed you? Rebecca? Um, I, I do not uh, think of myself as a hero. That word sort of makes me a little um, uncomfortable. Easy. <laughs> uh, I think that, um, I think that, yeah, you're just doing your job, and I think that with the word hero, there's like an implication of like some uh, romanticization of the of job that doesn't exist. You know, you do it, you're happy to do it. A lot of people, you know, get up every day and do jobs that are serious. And, and how has this changed you? Uh, you know, I remember the first time I put on my my MATA uniform, and it, it, it was like sort of such a uh, it's such an honor to have been thought of as, as worthy of that uniform that that so many like incredible people that I look up to wear. So I remember always thinking about um, earning the uniform in terms of uh, how I behave and how I conducted myself and being worthy of this organization that I was being allowed to uh, work for. And I think that even uh, back in the States, not on ambulances, the, the sort of idea of behaving in a way that, that's worthy of the uh-huh. uh, organization that I was lucky enough to represent um, still kind of sick. Uh-huh. Ariella, how has it changed you? Um, I think that my interview kind of gave me a sense more of my values and what kind of work I'd like to do inside the re- for the rest of my life in terms of I know I want to help people, I want to work, do something in the medical field, but not only just in terms of my future, but also like how I can, how I can help people and to have a future, like people that are injured or what, and stuff like this, like I just, I fell in love with my game divided dome from the moment I went there. And every day, like, I think about how I want to go back to Israel and I want to make Aliyah and live in Israel and volunteer in Mada and, and do something like this with the rest of my life because it's just, it's a life-changing experience. Yes, you want to go back and live in that ambulance. Okay. <laughs> well, you <laughs> girls are just um, just so, um, it, it just comes across where, in your voice as you talk about all of these things, how much um, the experience meant to you, how dedicated you were, how much you must have helped so many people, and how brave you were. Um, I mean, it's, it's really an inspiration to a lot of people. Um, I hope it's been an inspiration to my listeners, and I hope you, you continue to talk about it at your school and, and to um, a lot of people so that you can get people you know as well to uh, be inspired to go back there and volunteer. So, Eric, um, tell people how, um, where they could, well, I want to give out a number of um, websites. Um, one, of course, from Magen David Adom in general, and then um, if there's a place on that website to where people should go if they want to volunteer or find out more about this volunteer program. 
Sure, Start no with problem. That. Yeah, no, no problem. To find out more information in general about, about MDA's work, you can go to redstarforisrael.org. That's redstarforisrael.org. And if you, uh, there's a link there for the Overseas Volunteer Program for information about it. And if you want more information just directly about that program, for example, when there are upcoming sessions, what the qualifications are, um, contact information, that kind of thing, you can go to mdavolunteers.org. That's mdavolunteers.org. And, uh, of course, we have a phone number, too, and mm-hmm. uh, I wouldn't want to yeah, deny your listeners that. So uh, that, n- that number is 866-632-2763. Okay, and I want to also mention, um, for those listeners who are near enough to California, Los Angeles, there is a Red Star Ball. The annual gather- gala is coming up, the Red Star Ball. It's Thursday, October 23rd. At the Beverly Hilton, it's honoring Magen Davida Dome's wartime medic, so it's perfect for us uh, to go along with this show. Um, and the host is Jay Leno, and it also features Paul Anka. So it's a must. It's a must be there. <laughs> be you will there. literally laugh, cry, and be uh, you know fulfilled all in the same evening. I think. Yes. <laughs> So to, to find out more about that, um, you can go to afmda.org, AF from um, American Friends, AFMDA, magendavidadome.org, slash LA-Red-Star-Ball. Now, if that's a little too, <laughs> too difficult, yes. if you go to afmda.org, and in the upper right-hand corner, there's a blank spot where you can search for things and just put in Red Star Ball or L.A. Also, Red Star Ball. You can also, you can also get there by, uh, by going to redstarforisrael.org. It's the same website. Ah, okay. Red, okay, it's just easy to remember. Redstarforisrael.org. Okay, and you can do the same thing. Put it in the upper red, right-hand corner, uh, Red Star Ball. Well, thank you all. Um, I mean, I, I, I imagine a lot of people hearing this are, um, are being inspired to consider doing something like this themselves. I mean, you two seemed like you had such, a, such an amazing time that even though you were in danger at times, um, that it was, that was sort of a second, secondary thought in the sense that your first thought was just being so involved with helping the patients and their families. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, I mean, putting yourself second, and that's it, 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 that's just something that we need to uh, need to have more of in this country and in this world in order for us to uh, in order for us all to survive. I um, think if your if your listeners take anything away from this, Doctor Carroll, today, it's that helping really is meaningful to yourself. Um, yeah, putting putting other people. Um, ahead of you has real, real resonance for yourself. It makes you a better person. It makes those around you better. And, you know, listen, Rebecca and Ariella served in Israel. That's where they chose to do their volunteer work. And certainly I would, I would, be, I would advocate for that. But um, <laughs> it doesn't have to happen abroad. It can be right here in your own yes. communities. It can yes. be volunteering for your local fire department. It can be giving, as you said, um, Dr. Carroll, right from the beginning, there's something very, very meaningful about giving of yourself and of your time. And if you have the capacity of, you know, of, of, your, of your funds, and it's a beautiful thing. And uh, Ariella and Rebecca are the perfect uh, 
ambassadors. Yes, perfect ambassadors for that. And um, uh, we appreciate your service, Rebecca and Ariella, and 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 all that you have done. And uh, yes, it is absolutely true that. Um, that volunteering not only helps the people that, that you're volunteering to help, uh, whether it be in Israel or in a food pantry here in the States or wherever, but it has amazing, amazing repercussions. And I think you could all hear that in the voices of Rebecca and Ariella. So thank you all for being guests on Dr. Carol's Couch, and thank you all for listening. And let me just give out that, um, that website once again, redstarforisrael.org, and the Red Star Ball is October 23rd. So thank you all for being on the show, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 